Biblical Insights is a podcast dealing with issues that are plaguing the culture today. We have thrown out the only possible chance we had to bring sanity back into this depraved planet, and that's God. Our culture took a dramatic decline once we removed God from the public square. The revival happened in the 60s, the Jesus Movement. It can happen again today, but to have true revival, we have to have true repentance. The church needs to take a stand and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Biblical Insights. My name is Pastor Fesk, and I'm one of the pastors at Trinity Bible Fellowship. We are going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews today. Uh, today we're going to be in chapter 4, verses. we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. We see so far in the first three chapters of the book, we saw the comparison of Christ to Moses and how Moses brought the law, but Christ is fulfilling the law. And that's what we need to look at. Who is the readers? Who are the listeners, the recipients of the book of Hebrews? These are new converts from Judaism into this new uh, which is not new in a sense. It's been God's plan from all along, but it's new to them. The belief in Jesus as the Messiah, no longer needing or requiring animal sacrifices for the atonement of our sins, but now Jesus being the perfect, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice taking away the sins of the world, not just for them, but for past, present, and future sins of all mankind. So we've looked at those comparisons. So how the comparison led to the warning-based upon the example of Israel in the wilderness was unbelief. We look at today, do we have unbelief today? Yeah, do we have do we have false teachings? Well, of course, just like back then we have false teachings now and it's progressively getting worse and worse because we knew this falling away we'll look at later on in the book of Hebrews. We have this falling away from biblical truth and we see it today and it's prevalent today. We, you can't even go down the main street of America without seeing some heretic or some individual teaching Bible heresies. We have people online and it's mainly, you see it on TV, you can't even turn on your station, you think in a Christian radio, you can't turn, or a Christian television station, you can't turn it on without seeing some kind of heresy being taught. Uh, the International Society of Christian Apologetics is a ministry, is a, it's a society where we look at the inerrancy of the Bible and we hold true to the inerrancy of the Bible, which is more important today than it ever has been. There's always been this battle for the Bible in different generations, and it's happening again today, where Jesus uh, didn't do the I statements, that, like these I statements that Jesus did, that he is, I am the Messiah. They didn't happen. Certain individuals are saying that that didn't happen. Certain miracles that are recorded, documented in the Gospels, supposedly never happened. And we have our leading Christian scholars that people look up to that are either saying these things and saying that these things never happened. But we also have leading scholars that are, they're not the ones saying these things, but they're not coming against the individuals who are, which in fact is false also. So 
we have to, and, and the writer of Hebrews back then was saying the same thing. There were obviously heresies being taught, but what he was teaching was that Jesus came, that we need to be looking at that. We need to be looking at the true sacrifice that can truly take away the sins of the world. That going back to the old Levitical system of animal sacrifices is nothing. It's done. We can't go back to that because it doesn't save. And that's the problem. So appealing to the example of Israel's fall in the wilderness is a natural one. For despite Moses' leadership, most died in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land. For what? What was the reason why a lot of these people didn't enter into the promised land? They got promised. It was because of lack of faith. Now under Christ's leadership, since Jesus is now in the picture, we face a similar danger of falling short of our promise. Again, through lack of faith. And we can see that in Hebrews 3. We looked at it last, uh, last time. Hebrews 3, verses 14 and 15. For we have become partakers. And he's talking about the... This is the writer of Hebrews talking about... Talking to these new believers saying, We have become partakers of Christ. If... It's, it's conditional. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it, is, while it is said today, in verse 15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. They, meaning the people back and uh, Moses in the wilderness. So we can't harden our hearts to it. We can't go back to that. But we have to be firm. We have to truly believe that Christ is the Messiah and that Christ does actually save and take away the sins of the world. So chapter 4 continues this warning with a focus on the promised rest, R-E-S-T. What is this rest which awaits the faithful Christian? This promised rest is actually one of several rests, plural, found in the scriptures. It is a rest that Moses and Joshua did not provide, which is just another reason why the Hebrew Christian should not forsake Jesus and return to the old system in Judaism. It is the rest that remains for the people of God today. So it means it, it, it's a future. He's looking futuristic rest that remains. We've, we've had all these other, we have Sabbath rest. So we have these rests, but this is something that is in the future, but we can have a guarantee, an assurance of that if we don't harden our hearts and we endure till the end. Not saying we can lose our salvation. I'm not saying that. But there's a difference. We can look at a superficial faith that is all show and no go. So we have to press forward and we have to 
truly believe in the true Jesus of the Bible. So today, in this lesson, we're going to look at, we're going to address two different questions. What is the rest that remains, which is the title of this message, uh, and, and what essential elements are necessary to enter this rest that remains? So the first question, what is the rest that remains? And you can look back in Joshua, or actually in Deuteronomy first, Deuteronomy 3.20, and then we can look in Joshua also, the very next book, and it's kind of alluded to this rest. But in chapter 4, his rest, or my rest, meaning God's rest, is clearly delineated from that which Joshua provided. So let's look at Hebrews 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, we would not have spoken of another day after that. Long after Joshua died, the passage uh, in Psalm 95 was written. The word today indicates... So let's look at Psalm. So if you have your Bible in front of you, go to Psalm 95. Let's find it real fast. Psalm 95. So look at Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8. Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8. Or 7 and 8. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice. So what is he telling us? That we can be part of his fold. We can be his sheep. And him, Christ, being our shepherd. If, what? Today, if you would hear his voice. So are you hearing God's voice today? And I'm not talking about an audible voice from heaven. Hello, this is God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually understanding, being tuned to the Spirit and listening to God's promptings. Today I was looking at uh, certificate programs from different schools and stuff. And as I'm reading one, uh, this little introduction thing, something came out. And it hit me square in the face. And I realized that I wasn't doing this just... It, I was led to that. And that's being in tune and le leading a spiritual life. Charles Stanley has a really good book, The Spirit-Filled Life. I re highly recommend it. It is a really good book. And like, again, I highly recommend it. Charles Stanley, A Spirit-Filled Life. Uh, it's not a big read, uh, but it is very interesting and heartfelt read that will definitely change your spiritual life. So I highly re recommend that. So back to what I'm talking about. Today, the word in Psalm 25, the word today indicates the Spirit was warning the Israelites who had long before received the Canaan rest. So this is different. So Joshua provided the Canaan rest, but there is still the rest that remains. We are in a struggle right now. We're so, our, our country, our people are so divided right now. 
and Christianity, believe it or not, Christianity today in the world is being persecuted at a higher and more vicious rate than it did under Nero back in the first century. Yes, you heard me right. Do the stats. The persecution today, we might not be seeing it today in America as far as a physical persecution. We see the persecution of the church today in America as far as, oh, you can't drop the J-bomb, you can't speak about Jesus, you can't do this. And it is being, people are being persecuted for their faith, standing up for their faith, uh, and, and not being able to preach God's word in an entirety, saying that it is hate speech and stuff like that. So we are being persecuted. But I'm talking about in uh, African countries where these horrendous, evil, demonic people in Boko Haram following an evil, satanic religion are killing, mutilating people strictly for their faith in Christ. Jesus said, you will be hated for my name's sake, but take comfort, he was hated first. So we're in good company. But the fact that these people are being mutilated and being killed strictly, solely, only for their faith in Christ. But we have assurance that going through this, we have all this uncertainty in the world right now. Uh, we are so divided right now in our own country as uh, calling people a racist individuals, presidents, and stuff like that, which in turn it's not. It's just they don't fit their little mold going towards a one-world government. But again, I'm not going to get into that. We have, because of this uncertainty that I'm talking about, we have the assurance that we can sit back and have rest and we have that assur that assurance in it. It is not the Sabbath rest that we're talking about though, that I'm talking about here. It is natural to think of the Sabbath rest when one hears the words when we talk about rest and we're talking about biblical rest, we think of, oh, that Sabbath rest, but that's not what I'm talking about. When first introduced to the nation of Israel, it was spoken of as the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. And you see that in Exodus 16.23. And again, Exodus 16.23. This was a seventh day rest, patterned after God's own rest following creation, Genesis 2.2, where we see God created the heavens and the earth and he, in six days and rested on the seventh, which is Saturday, the Sabbath day rest. Saturday, Sabado, is the seventh day rest. But that's not what we're talking about here. It was encoded into the law given on the tablets of stone, Exodus 20, and we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Exodus 28 through 11, we talk about the Sabbath rest. But the Sabbath as a day of rest was given only to the nation of Israel. At that time, it was not given to the nation's father, i.e. the ancestors such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Deuteron look at Deuteronomy 5, 2 through 22, and then Nehemiah 9, 13 through 14. It was given to Israel as a weekly remembrance 
of their deliverance from Egypt. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. That was Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. The only Gentiles ever commanded to keep the Sabbath were those living among the Israelites in Canaan. Your stranger who is, quote unquote, your stranger who is within your gates. The Sabbath day, like the rest of the old law, has been done away with. Now, I got to be careful with it. I'm not saying that we don't follow the Ten Commandments. Because if you look at what Jesus said, Jesus said, what are, when he was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Love your God with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, in a nutshell, with everything. Love God with everything you have. And then second, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, you tie up all ten commandments within those first, those two. All the Ten Commandments can be tied up and summed up into those two commandments that Jesus spoke about. So, the Ten Commandments following the law, the Torah, was nailed to the cross. Ephesians 2, 14-15, and also Colossians 2, 14. Because Jesus came and fulfilled the law. We are not held under the old Levitical system. The law was only a schoolmaster, as Paul taught, only a schoolmaster that brought the awareness, showed us that we needed a Savior, that we cannot save ourselves. Again, pointing forward to this rest that we need a Savior, that we have if we put our trust in him that we can enjoy that rest that God has provided for us but again it takes a faith a true understanding a true belief in Jesus of Nazareth So the Sabbath day, like the rest of the Old Testament, again, has been nailed to the cross. Those in Christ have died to the old law, having been delivered from it, that they may now serve Christ. Romans 7, 4 through 6. As part of the ministry of death, meaning the Old Testament, it has been replaced by the ministry of the Spirit, the New Covenant. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8, and then verse 11. Again, I am not saying that the the Old Testament and the Old Law, the Torah, has been abolished because it hasn't. I mean, these were the prophets. These were God's prophets that wrote these books. It is not abolished. It is not to be forsaken. Oh, and being replaced by the New Covenant that we, oh, we don't have to... We don't have to listen to the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. Nah, because without the Old Testament, we wouldn't have the New Testament because that was inspired by God. That was also inspired by the Holy Spirit who guided the authors of the Old Testament to pen the Old Testament. Without, how many times did Jesus quote the Old Testament? How many times? Right here, we're looking at a prophet. We're looking at one of the, a writer of, God's word quoting the Old Testament. 
Because if we didn't have the Old Testament, we wouldn't have the New Testament. So I am not saying that we're abolishing the Old by any means. Study the Old Testament. When God says study His Word to show ourselves approved, His Word is also the Old Testament. So it's now a matter of indifference to God. It is now a matter of indifference to God. Left to one's individual conscience and not to be bound on anyone, Romans 14. And so finally, the argument regarding Joshua can only be made regarding Moses. Long after Moses provided the rest, the Sabbath rest, Psalm 95, 7-8, was written indicating that there was still another rest to come. While Moses provided the Sabbath rest, there is still the rest that remains. It is God's rest. Through this section of scripture, we're talking about Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. There are repeated references to my rest. Hebrews 11, 3. Hebrews 4, 3 and verse 5. Psalm 95, 7 through 11. His rest, that is my rest. His rest, Hebrews 3, 18, and then also in right here in Hebrews 4, chapter 1. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering His, capital H, His rest, meaning God's rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Which those who fell in the wilderness did not enter this rest, his rest. Which Christians today have a promise of entering. He, in 4.11, it is, or Hebrews 4.11, it is a rest that God entered upon the completion of his creation. Hebrews 4, verse 4 and verse 10 Hebrews 4, 4, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, meaning the Sabbath rest, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 10, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his works. It is a rest that God entered upon the completion of his creation. It is a rest that Joshua and Moses did not provide. Joshua and Moses did not provide this rest. God's rest is one in which we must be diligent not to come short of it. Hebrews 4.1 and also in verse 11. Hebrews 4.11. One who has entered the rest, his rest, has ceased from his works. Hebrews 4.10. God's rest is a heavenly rest of which we read in the book of Revelation and we can see that in Revelation 14 verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works Follow them. 
We're not talking about works-based salvation. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about what is what is God given you? What has God put in front of you? What has God laid out in front of you? Your path for your ministry, your cross to pick up. I don't know what your cross is. What specific ministry God has given you. I know what God has given me. Do I fall short? Absolutely I do. Every day. Every day we fall short. We know that. If we're true to ourselves and we're true to God, we, we will honestly be true to oneself saying that we fall short of the glory of God. Do we strive for, for, uh, for perfection? Of course we do. We're commanded to do we're commanded to strive for towards perfection. Will we ever reach it? <laughs> no, not in this world, not in this life. Our carnal life, we will never reach it. But we can reach it in the spiritual. And we will. If we remain true to him, if we are truly saved again if we are truly saved and we truly do put our faith in him not just superficial yak talk but if we actually walk the walk of our Christian life then we do have that rest that we look forward to the rest that remains in this passage is therefore God's rest. And in particular, that heavenly rest one enters in which they cease from all their labors. Now, if we wish to one day enter this rest, some things are necessary. What are the essential elements to enter God's rest? The Word of God. Note that both the Israelites and we today have had the gospel preached to us. You can see that in verses four or chapter four, verse two. For indeed we have had good news preached to us. The good news meaning the gospel. Just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. They didn't put their faith in God. They didn't put they lacked their faith. So when they heard the good news, it didn't take root. It did not solidify them with God. Because if we have no roots, we have no foundation. If we started our faith with a salvation base or a foundation based in the sand, the first wind, the first storm that hits, we're going to fall. It's like a tree standing in the desert by itself. Winds come, falls over. But if we put that same tree, transplant that into the middle of a forest with huge 200-foot redwood trees, that's going to withstand the storms because we've put our faith not just in Christ, but we've surrounded ourselves with an army of Christian believers and we have that protection in numbers. You see that in, in nature all the time. Strength in numbers. Do not 
do not, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. We are to be united with believers, true believers. That's what makes us strong. So the gospel, i.e. The, the good news, proclaimed unto the Israelites pertained to the promises of Canaan. The gospel proclaimed unto us pertains to the blessings we have in Christ. The word of God is essential for at least two reasons. Okay, Without it, we would not even know about this promise of this rest. So without the gospel, we need, without God's word, we wouldn't even know about it. So, and without it, we would not know how to receive this rest. So first, we wouldn't even know about it. And second, we wouldn't know how to receive this promise. Thus, the word of God or the gospel is truly God's power to save. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For it tells us of God's salvation of Christ how important it is, how important the gospel message is. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel and the power of it. Thus the word of God, the gospel again, is the power of God. For it tells us of God's salvation in Christ and how we might receive that wonderful salvation. But as we proceed in this, we learn that the word of God alone is not sufficient. Wow. I know people are pausing for a second. It's like, whoa, what, what did you say? The word of God alone is not sufficient. Let me clarify that. The word of God did not profit any or many in Israel because they did not receive it in faith. You can have a Bible, the Word of God, sitting on your coffee table for years. Just because you have the Word of God, which is the Word of God, the Bible sitting with everything you need to know to have salvation. Just because that Bible is sitting on your table does not mean you're saved. So the Word of God alone is not sufficient. The word of God did not obviously profit them because they did not receive it in faith. As powerful as the word of God might be in verses, chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow, what a description of God's word. What a description of God's word. Is living and active? Of course it is. We, we, ha we live or we serve a living God. We serve a resurrected Christ. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. God incarnate. The Holy Spirit active within us. As powerful as that is, if we do not accept it in faith, it is powerless over our soul. As powerful as God of the Word of God is, its power in our lives is hindered unless we accept it in faith. 
Of course, the word is designed to create and nurture faith to a point, Romans 10, 17. But unless our hearts are good and noble, the word of God will not find the proper soil needed to produce its intended fruit. So God opens up. Obviously, we get into some doctrinal issues here. God opens up this prevenient grace, opens our hearts up so we can accept or reject Christ. But it's still something that we need to do. It's a free gift. Because we're talking about this free gift of the gospel. This, this salvation is a free gift from God. But if you go with the John the Calvinist point of view, it's not a gift if we are predetermined to go to heaven or hell. It's not a gift any longer. We're being forced into heaven or hell. It's no longer a free gift. Grace is no longer grace there. There's no longer mercy there. If we are forced one direction or another. Does that make sense, Christian? Does that make sense? That it is not a free gift if we are forced one way or the other. That is not a gift. A gift is something that is given freely and accepted freely. That is a gift. So without faith then, the promise of God's rest will not will not be experienced by us. We need to have fear and diligence. The Hebrew writers stress both of these essential elements. In verse 1, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short. Let us therefore, in verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall. Okay, being diligent, study every single day. Wake up, breathing God's word throughout the word. We don't just, oh, oh yeah, I pray uh, Sunday nights at 6 p.m. No, we need to be in God's word. We need to be in the spirit every single day, every single hour, every single minute of the day. We need to be. We're commanded to be. We wake up, we breathe God. Do we fall short? Yeah, I will. I, I'll be the first to admit I fall short. Absolutely we fall short. Do we have a tendency to fall back into some of our old habits? Of course we do. We are sinners by nature. We're not perfect. We're being sanctified, yes. That means it's a process. Cover our eyes. Cover our ears. Cover our mouths. We pray, God, every day, create in me, in the psalm, create in me a clean and pure heart. Hide your word in me that I might not sin against you. How do you hide God's word in you that we might not sin against you? God, not me. Sin against you if we don't study his word daily. If we don't diligently seek God's word. If we don't hide his word in us, we sin against you, God. Fear. 
it's not a trembling, frightful fear that we're talking about here, that the writer of Hebrews, that's not we're talking about. We're talking about a fear, this awesome reverence has an important part, an important place in our lives as being believers in Christ. Jesus taught us whom to fear, Matthew 10, 28, whom to fear. Paul taught us that fear and trembling should accompany our efforts to serve God, Philippians 2, 12. Yeah, it's awesome. We got to think about when we're talking about that this fear is an awesome reverence. This is what they're talking about. Diligence, this strenuous effort strenuous effort likewise is important second peter 1 5 verse 5 and then also in verse 10 talks about it we must be diligent to grow in a christ-like character if we had a christ-like character we would love our neighbor as ourselves man just think about that for a second think about that for a second if we had a christ-like nature can you imagine what our world would be like right now loving our neighbor like Christ loved his church like Christ loves us what would our country be like right now what would the world be like right now if we had that just think about that for a second no civilization, no country has ever achieved that fully. And what if they did? Just imagine what our country or world would be like right now. We must be diligent to make your calling and election sure. The need, when I'm talking about elect, I'm not talking about uh, God knew beforehand foreknowledge is not predestination and it doesn't get away from free will. It's just God knows the choices that we're going to make. The need for such fear and dil- diligence is understandable only, only if the possibility of falling short is very real. And we're talking about this, uh, when I'm talking about the falling short, I'm talking about true Biblical saving faith. I'm, I, when we're talking about falling short, we're talking about that superficial surface Christian where they say, oh yeah, 95% of the country believes in God and they call themselves Christian. But when you ask them any tenets of the Christian faith whatsoever, what must I do to be saved? Like the, the jailer said to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Oh, I have a Bible or I go to church. Well, those are all good things, but those don't save you. Just because you have a Bible on your table, God's Word, that's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, slicing through heretical teachings, just because of that and just because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. So you could probably cut that 95% in half. And then the people that do proclaim to have accepted Christ, 
Which Christ did they accept? The Jehovah Witness Christ? The Mormon Christ? The Church of Unity or whatever you want to call pagan heretical church Christ? Islam? Muhammad? Whatever you want to call yourself? We're getting to a point where we're redefining what biblical terms mean to fit your belief system. It's just sad. When you say you're an evangelical Christian, we have to redefine what does that really mean? Let's get to that point. It's being weeded. The sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. It's getting to a point where you're going to stand up and like I said in Romans 1 16 I am not ashamed of the gospel are you can you stand up and say that do when you walk into a room do people change their speech it doesn't say anything about them it says something about us are you following me the rest that remains is indeed a wonderful blessing given from God, given to us. It is God's rest, therefore it is a heavenly rest. It is a rest in which one has ceased from his work as God did from his rest. Again, I'm not talking about a workspace salvation like the Mormons do. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about the rest, the, the cross that God gave us, the burden that pick up your cross and follow him daily. Whatever God gave you, to do that is the work we're talking about it is a rest of which John heard a voice from heaven speak in Revelation 14 13 but we have seen how disobedience led many Israelites to fall short of their Canaan rest though they collectively as a nation of Israel were God's elect predetermined to receive the promises made of Abraham in Genesis 12, 1-3, but individually they failed to make their calling and election sure. They had the gospel spoken to them, but they did not receive it with faith in their hearts, just like us today. And so they did not have the fear of, Again, what is that what is that fear that we're talking about? That fear is that awesome reverence for God's word to make him lord of our lives. And they didn't have that diligence, meaning that strenuous effort to search God's word. So they did not have that fear and diligence necessary to persevere. Brethren, what about us today? What about us today? If we are in Christ, we are blessed to be God's elect in a collective sense as Christ's body, the church, not a building. The church, the people, we are predestined as such to receive the wonderful blessings if we 
proceed in faith of those wonderful blessings of salvation in Christ, including that heavenly rest that awaits us. We don't have that now. That is something in the future. Yet individually, we must still make our calling and election sure. We are receiving the word mixed with faith. Are we receiving that word, God's word, with faith? Do we have that proper sense of fear, that awesome reverence for God's word? Or is it just kind of like this haphazard, lackadaisical, eh, okay, it's God's word. I'll take it and leave it. No. Are we diligently fighting for God's word, defending his word? Or are we spending more time watching football on Sundays or soccer or whatever we're doing? Are we putting anything else above him? Are we diligent in our efforts to remain faithful and steadfast? Only then we can have assurance of entering the rest that awaits us. So may the writers, may the writer of Hebrews sink deep into our hearts. Read chapters 4 or chapter 4. That rest that, that God promises us. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Again, diligence. That every day waking up saying, I cannot get enough of God's word. That rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience they had in the wilderness under Moses. We, as believers, need to be steadfast in our belief, be firm. It's not a workspace salvation. It is God. It was always, it is the power of God. But we need to wake up every day and seek out His will for our lives. Thank you and go with God. Put Him first in everything you do. Have a wonderful day and God bless.